life in the upside down kingdom. Our reading is Matthew chapter 5. I will just read these first 11 verses. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up to a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Life in the upside down kingdom. This is not about future pie in the sky. This is not about dreaming what might be and anticipate someday. Life in the upside down kingdom, as Jesus is presenting to it, is life in the here and now. Life in the battle. Life in the reality of where the world is. We, Ruth and I, have just been increasingly sober about the reality of where we are. Only in the last couple of days, the greatest bombardment of Russian missiles, etc., into Ukraine. Only in the last days, the greatest intensity uh, of the Israeli-Gaza war machine. Only in the news this morning, the leader of North Korea saying, South Korea, be assured as our enemy, and war could happen at any moment. For those who monitor global things in the Christian church, they say very clearly that the country in the world, number one for a downtrodden people, is North Korea. For people suffering in the depth of the reality, uh, it's North Korea. But North Korea doesn't come on our screen with images. And uh, what does come on our screen with images is very, very, very real. But let's think of those where we don't see the screen of images. Ruth and I, before we knew one another, lived in the theater of war. It was 30 years in Northern Ireland, but we happened to be working in the very peak, 70, 71, 72. Ruth at the Royal Victoria Hospital, uh, nursing, terrorist kind of people, uh, in bed with armed soldiers at the bedside, um, sleeping in the nurse's home at night, awakened with bombs and bullets flying. I was out in the countryside, uh, in the uh, 
of Northern Ireland farming community where I was working and uh, it was very tense with all sorts of things going on and ammunition, sometimes dumps being on farms and uh, being in situations like in a town before me a bus just went up in smoke and then you just detour around parking the car somewhere where it was sensitive one day, come back and it wasn't there. It was compounded by the army and taken away and eventually I got it released from some army encampment. Uh, And uh, the reality of war, as an aside, it followed me to England actually and uh, I was in West Mills in my office not long after I came over here in 1973, and uh, two, two men came to the office with handcuffs to handcuff me, take me away. And I uh, thought, well, this is, uh, I'm not in the north of Ireland now, but here I am in West Mills. And uh, I had been on business in West Byfleet in Surrey and went into the bank for whatever reason and was reported as. Possibly it could be a guy that planted the bomb in London recently. Um, and uh, they, they came into the office and, uh, with their handcuffs. And their piercing question was, where were you at 8 o'clock on Wednesday night that particular date? And interestingly, interestingly, I knew instantly where I was. Yeah, well, gentlemen, I was... In Kenneth Gospel Hall prayer meeting on Wednesday night of that day. Uh, who can verify that? Ah, I can get you a man who can verify that. Mr. Edgington up the street, Mr. Edgington, the baker of Edgington's bakery, he can verify that. So it was verified. And uh, my secretary uh, made him a cup of tea and we ended up with a nice chat of me supporting them and their good work. But the, the, the theatre of war, the theatre of war is very, very real in this world. And where are we? We're in it. We're in the middle of it. So what do we do? Just quietly wait to a better day before us? Well, it's nice to have vision of anticipation. But Matthew 5 is saying, life in the upside down kingdom is to be lived now. In the theatre of war or in the news of war, life is to be lived now. Tom Wright, the theologian, would translate each of these words blessed in another way. In their root, he says, it means the good news. Good news to the poor in spirit. Good news for the mourning now. Good news for the meek now. Good news for the hungry and thirst after now. Good news to those who show mercy now. Good news to the pure in heart now. Good news now to those who are persecuted for righteousness. Good news now. Not pie in the sky someday. Not something we fold our arms for and then wait and uh, wait for a day to come. But good news to live in now. What we have here, at the time of Jesus' birth, we have the clash of two kingdoms. The kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God. By the way, Mark, Luke, 
Indeed, John uses very much the kingdom of God. Matthew, the kingdom of heaven. They are interchangeable words. Here, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. The clash of two kingdoms. Caesar Augustus is the emperor in Rome. He's got his Herod the Great by his appointment, king of the Jews in Israel, his puppet, who does his bidding. Jesus is the Son of God. Ah, but that was the title of Caesar Augustus. He calls himself Son of God. Jesus is the King of the Jews. Ah, but that is the title of Caesar Augustus. He is King of the Kingdom. The Empire. There's no one else has that title. And anyone else who would take that title won't be around very long. Because he is king and he's God. Oh, but Matthew has a genealogy that shows a genealogy going back thousands of years to Jesus is born. Oh, Caesar Augustus has a genealogy, he claims. Right back to the goddess Venus. And claims a thousand years of genealogy. So we have a clash of two kingdoms. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. And this is playing out. Jesus has no apology about who he is. He is king. He's king of the kingdom of God. He talks more in the Gospels about the kingdom of God than any other subject. Much, much more. The dominant teaching of Jesus throughout the Gospels is the kingdom of God. What's it all about? The kingdom of God in the here and now. The concept of kingdom gone away back in Hebrew scripture, it goes away back. The manner in which people lived in the days of early Hebrew scripture was that they lived as people with judges, people in submission to God was the idea. And if there's an issue to be dealt with, well then the judges are there to deal with it. And so you have judges, you have prophets. But it comes the era of Samuel and they say, well, you know, people around us have kings. They've got very distinctive, clear leaders. We ought to have that as well. We ought to have a king. And in the end, God said, you want a king? Okay, you can have a king. So they got King Saul, King David, and so on. And Hebrew scripture, the journey through Kings and Chronicles shows very, very clearly, yes, there were some good kings, but there were many bad kings who failed the people. And so having the king 
to lead in a system of domination with a king arrogant and proud and full of self and domination attitude was not to the blessing of the people. So when people think of king, yes, domination. Domination is very real and the kingdom of this world is about domination. And we're seeing that in Russia, Ukraine. We're seeing that in Israel, Gaza. We're seeing that in Korea. We're seeing that in a multiplicity of places. But we're actually seeing it everywhere. And it's with us. We're in the reality of the experience of the kingdom of this world. Some people feel it very real in different kinds of environments. I read it earlier personally to the environment that we were in, the theater of war, of bombs and bullets. Yes, it's very real, but it's very real every day in a broken world. Some people's experience of a workplace can be absolutely horrid with injustice under a domination system. In a neighborhood, in all sorts of ways, in private sector, in public sector, coming home at night with a mind that's absolutely downcast with the reality of being under a domination system of one or the other, manifested in one person or another. The kingdom of this world is a place of injustice. Greed, where it's all about success, wealth, assets. The kingdom of this world that perpetuates brokenness in all of its manifestation and forms. And in the middle of it all, Jesus is there in the most sensitive time of kingly domination from Rome and in Israel itself, from Herod the Great and they who followed Caesar and they who followed Herod the Great. And here is Jesus. And he's come to talk about the kingdom of God. And this is playing out against another kingdom. And it's ruthless. Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. Or more accurately translated amongst you. I'm here. The kingdom is amongst you. But the beauty about this kingdom is, whilst the word king talks, speaks, and has that thing about authority and domination and sitting on a throne alone, handing out and meeting out whatever the king decides should be done and said, yes, God is the authority of God king. But the scripture likens God to, well, God is a shepherd. We're a sheep. 
God is a father. We're children. God is a king. We are subjects. I am. But God is a lover. And we're beloved. So this is the king, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Yeah, but the lamb of God. And Jesus has come to give us the face of God. And he's come to show us God. The living God. The kingly God. Who is king authoritative. But who is the lover. The compassionate God. An outstanding through the life of Christ. In every circumstance of trick and place that he was placed in to trip up is just the outshining of the compassion of God. So here's two kingdoms clashing. In the end, he's put on a cross. But that doesn't destroy compassion. It seems only more opportunity for out of the cross to flow the depth of the love And the compassion of God. And Jesus is saying. When he gives his parables. And talks about the kingdom. For example. The kingdom is like leaven. Leaven you put in the dough. And then in time. It just permeates the whole. And changes the whole. This little bit. Of leaven. Introduced. And then as he talks about the kingdom and his many parable examples of teaching, he talks about, for example, the mustard seed. And it's just a tiny little seed, the least of all seeds, and you plant it. And then it becomes something that has growth and branches. And not only that, takes over in its root form to to spread itself very firmly around where it is and it becomes this big this big bush. Says Jesus, the good news is my kingdom is not about the domination system. People thought, of course, that the coming of the Messiah meant in the circumstances of the downtrodden people in the circumstances of oppression, in the circumstances of being uh, in where they were, that the coming of the Messiah meant liberation from that. It meant lead us, leading us in military might to conquer and win over this enemy. Jesus is showing, now this is another kingdom. I'm not about that sort of kingdom. And I don't deal with the other kingdom that way. My kingdom is about compassion. It's about justice, peace. I'm the prince of peace. Let there be peace on earth. Oh, says Caesar, yes, I'm about peace, all right. Wherever I'll go, I'll conquer, and I'll then create peace, a kind of peace that is 
causing the taxes of the peoples and the citizens of that great Roman Empire to, to, be, to be all siphoned off to the elite. So you've got a wealthy elite ruling over the many, and we're all at peace. At the end of a gun, created by violence and force, an arrogant attitude. And here is Jesus, coming as the, the lover, the face of God, the compassionate one. He said, good news, good news. To have the rule of God in one's heart and to live in the good news to the mourning and the meek, and to show mercy for mercy and grace and forgiveness and kindness is that's what my kingdom is about. And what I want, in essence, is God's kingly rule manifest through people. Not at the end of the gun, but through people. And I want to change the world one person at a time. I want you to be salt and light, he goes on to say here. So just by the nature of living in this world, you are salt and light. And you begin to change the world one person at a time. Oh, there is an end vision. And the vision is that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. And in the absence of arrogance and corruption and selfishness and all of this stuff. God's rule will have its ultimate fulfillment. But let's not just wait around. Teaching of Jesus is... Let's live in the here and now, in the enjoyed reality of this. My kingly rule in your heart that issues out in you showing peace, mercy, love, justice. And in the end, Micah is saying in his prophecy, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to love justice. To live it and to walk humbly with your God. And you know, it's easy to say, this one does this, this one does this. Oh, look at that church leader, he does that. Look at them so devoted in that. I am not able to do this, I'm not able to do that, I'm not able to be like that. And what Jesus is presenting is, everybody can just get on with it. You and me, every day, now, just get on with it. Embrace the reality of God. His kingly lordship. And then enjoy living it out in the reality of a war-torn world. We went up uh, on uh, one day this week, last week, (laughs) thinking about war. We went to the Imperial War Museum. And we went in for a couple of hours, floor one, the First World War. Had a cup of tea to overcome the emotion. And then we went to the second floor, the Second World War. 
and uh, had a bite of lunch to overcome our emotions or to reflect on them. And we went to the third floor, the Holocaust. I'd seen the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem, but the Holocaust and the reality of what happened there with millions of Jews exterminated in the manner they were. Had a cup of tea to overcome that. And then the fourth floor was an eight-month exhibition just concluding next week on Northern Ireland and the Troubles and the reality of all that that we had been part of. What an earth. What a world. And against the background of all of that knowledge, of all of that global war reality experience, now we're faced with what we're in. And Jesus would say to us, in the here and now, now, in the middle of a war-torn world, and war-torn families, and war-torn workplaces, and war-torn circumstances that bring people down into the depths, says Jesus. Just live the good news. Now, embrace, and live as a community of peacemakers, merciful, generosity, loving, compassionate, just live there, now, and I will slowly change the world with the kingdom of God evident and enjoyed. Let's just um, <clears throat> reflect on that for a few moments quietly.